Blog Talk Radio. forgiveness, kindness, grace. What do they have in common? Well, they all fall under the umbrella of love. And love is what grounds us. Love encourages us to live authentically 
And love challenges us to move forward in life despite our fears. There is power in love that conquers all. Great power. Love is big. So stay tuned to find out just how powerful and big love truly is. This is your host, T-Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where Energy Awareness Radio streams to you live each and every week. My guest, Scott Stable, is the author of Big Love. His inspirational posts and videos have attracted a huge and devoted social media following, including over 350,000 Facebook fans and counting. Scott's a regular contributor to the Huffington Post, and he conducts personal empowerment workshops around the world. Now, you can visit him online at his website, scottstable.com, and I'm going to spell that for you, S C O T T S T A B I L E.com. But go check that out after the show because you want to stay tuned to hear what he has to say on the show. <laughs> so welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you so much for taking time to join us here at Energy Awareness Radio. How are you being? Well, I am being wonderful because you are fantastic, and I could just listen to you talk for the whole hour. Oh, no, you wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> but thank you. You don't even know me yet. <laughs> In those couple minutes, I've learned a lot about you, I think. <laughs> You're definitely enthusiastic oh. and full of spirit and heart. I am. So that's <laughs> it's true. First, I, I am so sorry for your losses and all that you have endured. And you speak all about, you. all about it in your book, Big Love. You most certainly provide examples of the power of love and action. So my question would be, or, or how I'd like to start, if you don't mind, is with you providing our listeners with an overview of your own story so that everyone, especially those people who have not yet read your book, have a better understanding during our discussion today. Sure. Well, you know, I'll start back when I was 14 um, because that's when my life changed profoundly. My parents were shot to death in their, uh, in their market in Detroit. They had a fruit market there and they were murdered. So that was uh, a shocking, traumatic, everything, everything you can imagine and probably can't imagine experience that completely uprooted me from my life. Um, So that's the biggest, I would say by far biggest tragedy I've endured. And nine years after that, I'm the youngest of seven kids, but my one elder brother had struggled with heroin addiction for his entire adult life. And he was um, 18 years my senior. So my entire life, I only knew him as someone addicted to heroin. That was the lens through which I viewed him. And he, uh, he ended up ODing and dying from his addiction so those are two two heavy, obviously very heavy family stories. With my brother, it it was extremely sad and tragic, obviously, but not as not as shocking, I think, because we had all watched him endure this addiction for so many years and and go in and out of jail and just and living on the streets and in and out of smack houses and all of all of those horrible things 
that it, it wasn't so surprising, honestly, to find out that he right. had OD'd, um, even though it was a, a very sad. Um, with my parents, it was a, a complete shock, and not just to lose them both instantly, but to the way, you know, to the way they were they were killed. Um, so to lose them so violently as well. Um, so that's a little, I mean, there's a little bit of my backstory in the earlier years of my life. And well, I'll let you go ahead. What would you like to ask? Well, you know, I know that, you know, first of all, it's certainly not easy to go through horror and come out deciding that you're going to dedicate your life living from love. That That's horrible. And, and you've experienced the most extreme of horror. So you, but you ended up spending 13 years in a cult. And that makes sense to me because we can be easily persuaded when life gets us so very down and there are, are promises of something better, if you will. However, once yeah. you're in a cult, I would think it would be so darn difficult to extricate yourself. I mean, they don't let you in, in, in your in. So how, how did you, how did you do that? Well, I'll, I'll back up a little bit just in that, you know, when, when I lost my parents, I was only a teenager. I was 14 years old. So I didn't, right. I wasn't really processing anything on a conscious level. I, I made a choice and I see it as divine intervention, or I made this choice on a subconscious level to just bury the experience and move on with my life. So I was, you know, an all A student and a popular kid and once a year, I would have a, a really good cry about my parents, usually triggered by too much alcohol and some conversation that triggered it earlier. Um, and then I'd lock it away again and move on with my life. And it wasn't until my early to mid-20s when I had graduated college and moved to San Francisco. And this all connects to the cult. It's all leading there. But um, I got mm-hmm. a job at, this, at a store in San Francisco. It was a New Age gift shop and a world gift shop. And this was the first time I had heard the word enlightenment. And this was the first time I had ever read books that, and, and met people that were focused on love and peace and compassion as their life goals and not like what career they were going to do or how much money they were going to make. And for me, this was like, it was that, that feeling of coming home to something that you hadn't experienced it, but the moment you experience it, you feel like you're home. And that's how I felt in the store, and that's how I felt around these, these self-help books and spirituality books, and that's how I felt with my new friends. They were really loving, amazing people, and they all had a guru. Many of them shared a guru, so it was only a matter of time before I was you know, begging them, I want to meet this guy, because they had all credited him with so many of their positive life changes. So it was, as I was opening up in my life, and, and also opening up to experiencing the pain of losing my parents in a different way. I was finally crying about it with regularity and raging and, you know, just allowing for grief, the grief that I had locked away. So I was, and and because I was opening up to, to all of that, I was also opening up to deeper possible connections with people. You know, I had built such a secret around my parents' death and being an orphan and feeling so much shame about it and like a freak and just like, you know, so, so for me, it was my biggest secret along with my sexuality. Um, but anyway, so these people, I met the, their guru and I was taken, you know, he professed himself to be an enlightened master, you know, on, on the level of Buddha or Jesus or any of the other great masters we think of. 
and he he talked uh, about unconditional love nonstop and unconditional friendship and also being real with your pain and your darkness and not pretending it doesn't exist. And all of these things, all of these philosophies, I completely connected with. Um, and all the love in the community, I completely connected with. And, <laughs> you know, there's always another side, right? So the other <laughs> yep. side... The other side to the story was that I, I, he was just a man, and he had an ego even though he insisted that he didn't. And he insisted that he was a puppet of God and that everything he did and said was a directive of God so that if we were in resistance to what he was saying, we were basically saying no to the universe or God's will mm. for us. You know, there wasn't any possibility that he was wrong ever. And I, you know, we worked so, I worked so hard to convince myself of his enlightenment and I was surrounded by people who were convinced of his enlightenment and no one ever talked poorly of him that you, I just told myself, well, I'm not enlightened. So I don't know what enlightenment looks like. And I just would always talk myself back into to trusting that he was enlightened until I finally just realized like, look, he, this man is a lot of things, including he's a very loving person, but he's also incredibly manipulative. And his whole path, which is predicated on his enlightenment, for me became false because I didn't believe he's enlightened. And so everything he was talking about and all this unconditional everything, it just wasn't ringing true anymore. And then when I decided to break ties with him, but intended to stay friends with my community, because these were all my, this was like family to me. They were like the closest people in my world. Um, you know, that wasn't okay for him. And he instructed them to delete me from their lives. And they all did, you know, with, with no warning, with only my closest, closest friend took the time to send me a text that said, don't ever contact me again. And oh, wow. that was it. Yeah. So, yeah. so for me, extricating myself, it wasn't difficult in the way you're thinking in that it wasn't like I didn't feel threatened. You know, I didn't feel like they were going to hurt me. It wasn't like that. You know, it wasn't the cults you read about in papers. It wasn't something like that. You know, there wasn't violence and anything at all like that. But I did, I understood that in leaving and the reason why it took me a year to muster the courage to leave, I understood that I I could be saying goodbye to my family basically again. And also, and also that I could be, I really believe that I could be cursed by God for re- rejecting a spiritual master. I mean, that's how brainwashed I was. And he, he really hammered that thought over and over and over that you don't betray a master or God himself will, you know, take it out on you. So that was a grand fear as well. And I don't feel like that happened, but I did lose my friend. And you know, it's funny. We're all masters, and none of us are. So you know, yes, of course, <laughs> he, he of can course. he can proclaim, and he, you know, so like, oh well, you might have lost what you thought were your friends at the time, but it, moving on and evolving in your own life, it was a journey you needed to take to get to learn a lesson, to get past it, to make new people, bring new people into your life who would be more compa- con, um, compatible with you, and more friends that you need in the way that you need them. So actually it was a life lesson and you've had many of them, unfortunately, hard, hard life lessons. But you just mentioned, you said, you know, it was fear and a big part of what you write about is based on fear. And that too makes sense because of all that you've gone through. How, 
how do you get past the fear? I've gotten so much better with my fear, honestly, and it's and I'm always afraid. That's the thing. And I think that was one thing, recognizing that I wasn't ever going to suddenly become fearless. And that for me to move forward in my life, if I was whether it's fear of a big change, fear of the unknown, fear of the judgment when you share yourself or your creativity. If, if I was going to move forward, it wasn't going to be because I suddenly realized, oh, I'm fearless now. It was only going to be because I figured out a way to move forward along with my fear. And, and that, in part, is because I, I created a different relationship with my fear. And I'll tell you a quick uh, story. I went to a workshop with Elizabeth Gilbert and Rob Bell. If you don't know them, they're great writers and thinkers and mm-hmm. humanitarians, wonderful people. And one of the exercises they had us do was to write a letter from our fear to us. And we were just supposed to stay absolutely open to everything our fear wanted to tell us. So when I, and I had never done this exercise, you know, I I had up Mm. to this point always seen my fear as a bully and a tyrant and the, like the thing that was keeping me from realizing my best life. But when I wrote the letter, what I found, all the things my fear was saying to me was basically like, you know, dear Scott, I'm your fear and I don't want you to get hurt. I'm just trying to protect you. I don't want people to judge you and condemn you. You know, it was all of the ways in which my fear just wants to protect me. And it really helped shift my feelings about fear in general. Even before this letter, I had started to, you know, I was making choices beyond my fear. But this letter encouraged me to to recognize you know, my fear is not out to hurt me. It's out to protect me, but its skill set isn't the finest. You know, it, it views like me running into a burning building the same way it views me sending a short story in for a submission. Like to fear, it's all scary. You know, it's all uncomfortable. Yes. So it's saying, it's saying no to all of it. Like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But when we come to realize that our fear is just trying to protect us, it's kind of dumb in the way that it goes about it. We can, instead of it being this, um, you know, this big, scary tyrant, I kind of view my fear like a, a nagging little brother now that's tugging at me and always like barking out all these concerns. And now I just shoo it away. It's like I listen to it. I try not to create war with it because I've learned that wars only create other wars, you know, internally and right. externally. So I just listen to my fears, concerns, and then I kind of shoo it away. I give it a voice, but I don't give it a say in what I choose to do in my life. And what I found, and this is the beauty of it, is that I still am not fearless, but I am, because I've made such a habit of taking chances or putting myself out there, even with my fear, that my that I'm, I'm seeing that I, do, I can do it. My fear is not going to stop me anymore. And my fear is seeing that I'm going to continue to make brave choices despite it. So when people ask me, how do you get beyond your fear? I'm always like, well, one, don't, don't, try, to, don't try to pretend that you're going to be fearless or wait to be fearless. Just start making one brave choice at a time and, and bring your fear along with you. And also, I, I encourage people to remember that when you are you're, have a big change coming or you're doing something big that's in, inciting a lot of fear inside, you're only at step A. You don't have to jump from A to Z. All you have to do is get from A to B. And A to B is going to be a lot easier. That might be making one phone call or doing one search online that gets you that much closer to your goal. 
And I know that for me, I've always been so overwhelmed by the prospect of doing that big thing that I've not even begun because it feels too big. But once you take these little steps one after the other, suddenly you're much closer to Z. You know, you're at like S or T or U, and, and your finish line is, is much more palatable. And that's a great way to look at it. I always look at fear, and I sit and I think, because of the psychology training, I think, okay, well, we know that this is good for me because it's fight, flight, or freeze. So I look at it and say, all right, what, what is the fear causing me to do? Do I want to fight? No, this isn't a case of that. Do I want to flee? No, it's not that. Why am I frozen? And then work it through that way. Because if somebody, if, you know, if somebody said to me, I'm completely fearless, I'd think, then there's something missing. Because nobody's fearless. Right, exactly. Everyone has fear, you know. You're a there's sociopath. A, a, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's something missing up there because you, you can't be that fearless. You just can't. I mean, even today, I had the news on, and they decided today was the day to do that emergency test system. And I have to tell uh-huh. you, for the first time in my life, the very first time in my life when I heard that, my stomach turned because of what is going on in this world. And I was like, yeah, oh, dear God. Yeah, I believe it. I, I, uh-huh. I, was, I, I actually froze, and I thought, okay, now this is good to note. What would you do if that was real? You need to start yeah. thinking about that, you know? And yeah. so you yeah. can take it as a, as a prep to do whatever you need to do, but nobody's fearless unless you're right. They're a sociopath. There's something wrong, you know? And, uh, ooh, that's just not good. <laughs> and yeah, for you, exactly. I, you know, you, you had to write this book. You chose to write this book, and that was huge, and I would think it would have been very challenging, and I would think there would have been some fear involved because, you know, do I write this? Do I write that? Do I say everything? And it seems as though you, you just bared your soul. That had to be somewhat fearful. Wasn't that challenging or hard for you? Yeah, you know, I mean, well, one, the process of writing it was scary. Just, I mean, I got the book deal. I, I was elated for 10 minutes. And then the fear was like, oh, my God, now I have to write this book. You know, so the, the elation was short-lived. And just the fear of actually producing a book that my editor would feel happy with made me a- afraid. But um, in terms of what I shared – I, I was really committed to bearing my soul and be, you know, it's what I, it's, it's what I try to do to a lesser extent only because it's not as um, in depth on Facebook and on social media, like be really honest about my experience and be willing to share insecurities and fears and, and my story. The book takes it to another level. And I was, you know, the, the funny thing is T it's like when you're writing something, you're, you're putting it all out there. And there's that one that there's that voice that's like, oh, man, I can't believe you're sharing this. And, oh, man, I can't believe you're sharing that. But it almost doesn't feel real because it's, you know, you're just writing it into your computer. And even when you send it off to the editor and you're kind of going back and forth with with notes and changes, it still doesn't feel real. It still feels like something that is just being read by a couple people. And I think that helped me honestly get through it because I'll tell you when I started to freak out was when it was submitted and when it was sent off to the printer and it was done. You know what I mean? Like this was a done deal. And in those weeks before it was released, it came out, you know, maybe three weeks ago almost. And in Mm -hmm. those, you know, the month or so before the book came out, I was really feeling the nerves about what am I putting out there? Like what what have I decided to share with the world and, you know, how are people going to receive it? And even though I feel really good about the book, like I'm, I'm happy with it and I'm happy with what I shared. Um, that was, it, it was, it's scary. You know, it's scary. You don't know how people will react. It is, 
It is scary, but I always find writing to be very cathartic. You know, we can process a lot of pain or emotion in writing, whether we're journaling or writing a book. So did you find that when you were writing this book, that it was a cathartic process for you? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm so with you there. I always find that in writing. Even in the, I almost think some of my most cathartic writing is the writing that no one else sees and, you know, yeah. that I don't try to polish into chapters that flow and make sense. And it's more like just guttural and vomiting and all out. I, I love writing like that. But this book was certainly cathartic. I mean, some of, there are a few, you know, it's, there, there are a lot of light chapters with humor and stuff, but there's some heavy chapters yeah. in going into those periods in my life that, were very hard and heavy and revisiting them is it was emotional, you know, so absolutely. It is. You, you go through a lot of emotions reading the book. You, you cry, you laugh, you kind of snicker. Uh, yeah, everything. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride, but it's a good one because you, you get a lot out of it, you know, and you can resonate with it somewhat to some degree, certainly not to the degree that, that you, of what you went through, but you can resonate with it somewhat. Do you write daily or, or when you find you want to process emotions or pain? I don't write daily at all, especially right now. I mean, the truth is I haven't written much since I finished the final edits on the book. And that was, you know, maybe in January or February, I write, I, these days I've been writing occasionally. I would say when I, with the book, because I had a deadline and it was a project, I was on a very, you know, a, a, a very, strict in that I stuck to it, a routine, you know, where I was showing up at the computer every day around the same time, taking a lunch break, taking a little nap, and then going back to the computer. And when I have something I know I want to put out there or that when there's a deadline around it, routine is really good for me. And I can really get in mm-hmm. the flow. And I tend to be a quick writer. But no, I can go for a long time without writing anything of significance. And that's kind yeah, of I'm the same way. I am right now. <laughs> I'm the same way. I like to have a deadline because that keeps me on a on a schedule, you know. Uh, exactly, and, and there were some other exactly. some other things you talked about in the book. One of them was, you know, forgiveness. And and I think we've all had to forgive others. Hope hopefully we have. And hopefully we all know that it's not for, um, you know, it's for us. It's not condoning their actions. It's so we can move on with our lives. However, right. You know, I mean, I've. I've forgiven people I thought only to have something come up and I realized, oh, I thought I forgave them, but I guess I didn't. And then you have to go through the process again. But for you, forgiving the man who murdered your parents, that is a huge endeavor. How ever did you come to do that? Well, honestly, with empathy, that's, that's the one word I think of when I think of forgiveness. It was you know, I, when I was 14 and in my younger years and after, right after it happened, I wasn't even thinking in terms of forgiveness or that was the, the last thing from my mind. And, you know, as I was, again, in my early 20s, awakening to a new way of living my life with more love and with more compassion, I started to think about uh, my parents' killer from a different, a, a different frame of mind. And I tried to imagine what his experience in life might have been like, which isn't something I had considered before. And when I would imagine it, without knowing any details, of course, I didn't know anything about him, um, I, I imagined that he must have felt incredibly unworthy, incredibly unloved, incredibly unseen in this life, because no one who's operating from any place of self-worth and self-love would ever do what he chose to do. Um, I couldn't 
imagine killing somebody, but I've been so mm-hmm. angry that I've wished people would die, and I felt so mm-hmm. unworthy and so unloved in my life and so unseen. Like, I could relate to all of those feelings, and though he made a, a terrible choice and did a terrible thing, beyond that choice, he was a human being. And once I started to really remember that and, and hone in on his humanity and connect to all of those human parts, in the way that I felt like I could, it was as though I noticed when I would start thinking about him, it was through the, through the lens of forgiveness. So I, I think I write in the book, it's not like I made a choice in the moment. I'm going to forgive this man. Though I did right. become dedicated. Did. I, I did. Yeah. It was more like, because we can't just say, Oh, I'm going to forgive someone. And then we magically forgive them. That's not how it works. No. It's like saying no. I'm going to be happy now. That's not how it works. Um, <laughs> but, but what I did find is with dedication, like I, I'm dedicated to forgiveness and I know that I will find forgiveness in my life for things. So eventually when I would start thinking about him with, you know, with that empathy, I realized I have forgiven this man. And it, it, it was, it's this feeling where I know it's like, I'm not, holding on to any of those toxic emotions that I felt for him. All, all I feel about him now is I forgive him. And it was really, Mm -hmm. I I really can't speak highly enough, especially given the insanity we're seeing in our country and around the world and all of the division and all of the, the crazy ways that people are communicating with each other or not communicating with each other, screaming and, and, you know, just throwing hatred at each other. Empathy, empathy is one of the great healers for that because I, I think it's impossible once you've taken, well, maybe not impossible, but highly unlikely once you've taken the time to imagine what it's like to walk in another person's shoes or taken the time to imagine the struggles that they've been through that may have led them to say the things that they're saying now that are angering you, it's very difficult to show up to that, that interaction with hate in your heart. And we need to be more empathetic with each other's experiences. I, it's, it's really one of the, the greater gifts that I think of love. One of the, the more important mandates of love is empathy and compassion. And you do you do bring that up in the book as well. It seems to be a thread, and, which is good because people don't understand the difference between sympathy and empathy. And and I will agree with you because when it, for me, and I didn't realize it was really empathy at the start when I when I would say this to people. But I really believe whoever the God is of your understanding, however you refer to that person, I believe mm-hmm. in a higher, higher power, and mm-hmm. that's our strength. But we also come in knowing what we're going to do and knowing we need to get a specific job done. And if any one of us had somebody else's puzzle piece, we would do exactly the same thing because that is how it has to go down. I don't think there would be a difference. You know what I mean? It's the picture. You got your puzzle piece. This is where it goes. You got to do it this way. So for instance, in the news, things like that, um, how Casey or Kaylee, Kaylin, whatever her name was down in Florida, the the mom that was accused of killing her baby. And everybody was like, Oh, she did it. She did it. And I'm like, yes. And I was like, you know what? I don't know whether she did or didn't, but I'm not going to judge her because if I had her puzzle piece, the same thing may have happened. What I suspect might have happened is the child died by accident and they tried to cover it up because they were scared, you know, but I don't know. It's not up to me to know. I'm not her maker. It's, it's whatever it is, but I know, I really believe in my heart that the way that we come in, we come in with a specific length of time and a specific way that things are going to go down. 
and we don't know it consciously, but subconsciously we might. And that is what actually gets me through difficult times sometimes because it's like, well, that had to happen that way because that's the puzzle piece they got. And it helps. And I really think that in my head, and I try hard to just know that how, how do I need to live with me? Because I'm the one that has to look in the mirror in the morning, and I'm the one that has right. to live with my actions and what I do. So to, to do the empathy for the other person, I don't care what color you are. I don't care what religion you are. I don't care what your sexual preference is. We're human beings, all of us. We're in this together. That's really what we should be thinking about, not I'm going to bomb the Pacific, you know, the nutcase in North Korea, right. and then we got another nutcase yeah. in the White House, but that's my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I, mean, I share that opinion. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, when that emergency broadcast thing started happening today, my stomach flipped because it was all too real. And it's never done that before because it was always just a test. And today was just a test. Yeah. But it was too close. That's freaky. You know? that that, yeah, that, that's, a, that's so telling about the state of the reality we're living in, that yeah. that, that, that yeah, is the difference, is. that for you today, you weren't sure right away, is this a test? Because that, you know, no. that kind of crazy thing could happen. No, I, I hear you. Yeah. But and, ultimately, and I, as yeah, you I, said, all we have, oh, go ahead, sorry. I, 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 we haven't heard that test in years, <laughs> you know, so it kind of yeah. threw me for a loop because it was like, who's getting ready for what here? This is a little scary. You know, it really yeah. did, and it shocked me because I thought I had things under control. And I was like, you don't have that under control, honey. Don't think you're that in control. You are not. You know, I, I realized right. that in that moment. Scary. Scary stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but it speaks to what you were saying. I mean, the, that ultimately all we can control is what we can control, which is how, we, how we're choosing to show up in this lifetime. You know, how, no matter what thoughts we're having, how are we, how are we showing up? To other people? Are we showing up with kindness? Are we showing up with compassion? Are we showing up with empathy? You know, because those are the choices we have control over. And what I'm, what I'm really encouraging people to do, and, and the whole, one of the points of the book is, is just look at the difference that happens in your life when you make a concerted effort to show up from the energy of love as often as possible and pay attention yeah how your life changes when you do that. And when I'm talking, again, about showing up with the energy of love, it means when you're out in the community, are you being kind to the people on your street, with it, which is just love in action? Are you being compassionate, which is love in action? Are you, when you're looking in the mirror, because this extends well beyond how we're showing up for others, how are we showing up for ourselves? When you are faced in the mirror and you're beating yourself up over your looks and this and that and your body and your hair and all of these things, when you become aware that that's what you're doing in the moment, are you taking the time to, to tell yourself, you know what, you are beautiful. I am sorry. You are beautiful just as you are. Like, are you showing up to yourself with that level of kindness and compassion? You know, this is how, for me, this is how I should, I'll speak from my experience. This is how I've created the greatest change in my life. This is how I have, this is why this book exists. This is why my Facebook community exists. You know, this is why my life is what it is and continues to become more interesting and dynamic and meeting more people and opening up to new possibilities. It's because as often as I can, I'm letting love lead. And even in saying that, I want to be very clear. Like I am also often an envious, jealous, impatient jerk. You know, love is not always leading, but I do my best. And I remind myself that I'm human and I get myself back on the love train as quickly as I can when I've fallen off um, because it feels good. 
you know, and it makes a difference. Well, and that's the awareness, you know, and that's the key. So if you're aware of things that are going on around you and you, and you can stop it, and it's like meditation. People will say, I can't do it. I don't know how it doesn't work for me. I, I never am in that state. And I tell them that when you're in that state, like continuously, you're dead. So you don't want to be in that state continuously, you know. The idea is to bring yourself back and say, oh, my God, I'm thinking of my grocery list or picking up the kids or going to the soccer game or doing the laundry or whatever it is or my fight with my husband, whatever it is. You're thinking of that. You have to realize, "Uh uh-oh, bring yourself back and ground. Bring yourself back and ground and go with your breath. So everything is practice. Life is practice. Gratitude is practice. Love is practice. But if you see love in all things, you know, it's so it's crazy because when I first got married, it was like the bedroom is sacred space. Okay, we can't fight in the bedroom. No matter what, you can't fight in the bedroom. We can have a fight anywhere else in the house. When you walk in the bedroom, that's for sleeping and making love. Now, I might be Mm -hmm. coming over to your side of the bed, even though we had a fight, because I still want you to know that I love you no matter what, and I'm hoping that you love me no matter what. But the minute we cross over mm-hmm. that threshold the next morning, if you decide you want to fight, I, I might stay inside and just shut the door because I don't want to fight, you know. <laughs> now the whole house is sacred space. There's no fighting allowed, you know. It's just because it's so much e- – I don't understand fighting. I really don't. It's just so much easier to just, you know, just be. Just let everybody be. Why can't we all do that instead of you have to be right? You know, you have to have it your way, especially in this world that we're living in where the political environment is it's both intensely heated and divided. And I find it challenging to come from the place of love with respect to the accusations, the bullying. It's from the top down. I find that I have to fully grow myself and intensely focus on love, bringing it in. So I'm in that space, and I come from grace when politics comes up, when you're in a public arena. But, for instance, I had my advisory board here from my foundation, and somebody started talking politics, and I said, I'm sorry, that's off the table. Can't talk about that in this house. It's just easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. I mean, believe me, I'm with you on everything you're saying. the, The political arena has been the most challenging. It's really, I mean, in in some ways it's been fantastic because in terms of my inner school and looking at like where I really am with, with love and am I really staying connected to what I'm talking about all the time, which is operating from that place of love. Because if anything can pull me from the loving, compassionate place, it's politics. And, yeah. and what I'm, what I'm realizing though more and more is that, well, one, if I'm convinced that someone is just committed to operating from hate, you know, and spewing hatred, I won't engage at all. There's just no point. I don't believe we have to participate in every conversation we're invited to, you know, especially if it's just hatred coming at us. But also, yeah. or just a closed down, you know, always right attitude. Um, but I also have noticed that, you know, the the spiritual people, we spiritual people and um, metaphysical people, can have a tendency to avoid any sort of political discussion or anything that could potentially get fueled. Like, and we tell ourselves we're rising above it or we're not participating in that energy. And believe me, I've done that a thousand times in my life. But the truth is, I think we're just avoiding uncomfortable conversations. And that's what a lot of us are doing. And I think that what I really hope is that those of us who are committed to communication with compassion and love will participate in more of these conversations and become examples of how we can talk about even things like politics. And even when we don't agree at all with the other person on the other side of the aisle, we can still 
bring another element to the dialogue besides just anger. And look, I think anger is really important. Anger is a beautiful catalyst. It shows us what we, you know, for me when I'm angry, it's usually around injustice. So it shows me what I feel passionate about. But anger is not going to get us to healing. You know, you have to support that anger with compassion. You have to support it with love or you're not going to get anywhere. You're only going to fuel more anger. So I'm trying, you know, often unsuccessfully, but I'm trying. (laughs) And we all are. And I think as long as you, if you know the audience and you know the people and you know it can, there can be some, you know, modicum of peace. But if you see the people and you think there's only five people in the room right now, but three of them will kill each other, then you you got to stop it and say, you know, we're not talking about that here. It's off the table, you know. There was a, a, a... a paragraph in your book that I really liked, and I wanted to read that before we, we get on to the final question here. Um, it, okay. You said, maybe we'll have an easier time loving ourselves when we find the freedom to be ourselves, when we encourage our soul to sing its own melody, when we let our body flower as it's meant to, when we dance away from the mandates of our minds. Sounds good, doesn't it? With intention <laughs> and practice, it is possible. And I couldn't agree with you more. We can choose to unbecome everything we've been told to be or not to be so that we can become everything we already are. Beautiful words. Beautiful words. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you so much. I think, I think that says pretty much, you know, that sums up what the point is of your book because it is coming from your heart. I firmly believe if we live from our hearts, from love, we receive great gifts and have the potential to make great changes in this world. Because love is a great motivator and is most impactful, and you know this as well. I, I know it to be true. Having said that, for you, writing this book, all that you've gone through, everything you've endured, what is the most that you most important thing, I guess? So the, mm, yeah, that's it. What what is it that you hope readers will get from reading your book, Big Love? The the biggest thing. Well, I think the the biggest thing would be what we've been talking about and what you just said so beautifully is just I, I hope it encourages people to consider um, choosing love more often in their lives. We'll, I hope it will you know, encourage people to ask themselves the question throughout the day, what does love invite me to do in this moment? How does love invite me to respond to this situation? Because in my experience in life, there has been no, no greater commitment than my commitment to being loving as often as I can be. Nothing has served my life more powerfully. And as you said, love serves everything more powerfully. I know that when I'm showing up in my life with a loving heart, I'm serving the world. There's just no way around it because the energy of love is that pure. When it's unconditional and unmuddied by all the expectations and distortions of our mind, love on its own is the most beautiful, the most powerful thing. Um, so that's one thing. And, and also I want to say something because people tend to see, you know, when you hear someone talking about love so much, you can tend to think it's like ooey-gooey, airy-fairy, you know, kind of soft and weak. Mm-mm. But in my, my experience, love is almost always the harder choice to make. Like when someone's in your face screaming things at you, I challenge you to come from love with that person. That is going to take hard work and practice and commitment. You know, we all go absolutely naturally to blame, pointing fingers, self-abuse. All of that stuff comes naturally. We don't have to work at it. We have to work at love. 
you know, even though I do believe love comes naturally to us as well. I mean, but we still have to work really hard to be choosing love in the face of so many obstacles and situations in this life that provoke us to choose something else. So that's one thing. And, you know, a point on that is that, you know, we are all made from love. We come from love, the source of love. We are indeed love. We are love. So it actually love. Uh, and I had this argument with my husband years ago. Love is so easy. And he said, it's hard. I said, no, it's not. It's so easy. You just be. You just do. You just are love. Just be the love. What makes it hard is what we think other people think of us based on what their perceptions are and what we're doing. Because I've always found that when you start to come from love and you start doing things, you will find that people will start to walk away from you because you're, you're showing them aside that is real and that they like, but they don't do, and it offends them that they don't do it. It offends themselves. It, it makes them mad that they can't do it, so they take it out on you. And when that happens, people say, well, I'm not going to come from love. But they don't know they're consciously saying that, but that's exactly what they're doing. So be your authentic self. Be your love and don't care what anybody else is saying about you because if you're coming from that space, it's only good and it's only going to be better for you. But it's a tough thing for people to grasp. It's a tough thing to grasp and it's a tough thing to do. Look, I I put myself out there in a lot of ways and I'm living my life more authentically than I've ever lived it, you know. And I still care what people think, but I don't care enough to not do what I want to do. That's the difference for me. It's 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 hard to completely not care about what people think, but just don't care about it enough because what I've learned is that no matter what, we're, we're judgmental. People are judgmental, and you will mm-hmm. be judged no matter what. So I encourage people, yep. like, look, if you're going to get judged anyway, let people judge you for your truth and show up authentically right. because what happens is some people will reject that because, as you said, they're going to be threatened by it because they don't know how to find that authenticity in themselves. But other people right. – are going to be inspired and wowed and your courage to be authentic in your life is going to set fire to others who are going to find the courage to make more authentic choices in their lives. And suddenly we have more and more people out there just living in their truth and living from love and living honestly. And this is how I believe we make profound change in this world. And I agree. And and that goes back to the very beginning when I said to you, well, you you thought you lost your friends at that cult, but in actuality, you were becoming more authentic of who you are and bringing those people around you because you will attract those people, the like-minded people, and the other people will go away. And you don't need the people that aren't like-minded. And and although you're going to care, you got to care enough about yourself and enough about your impact on this world to, to say it's okay that they're that way. You'll care, but you'll get over it a lot faster. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, and also trust that when you say goodbye to the, to the relationships and situations that are no longer healthy and good for you, you're actually creating space for new ones, which is right. what you're saying. And that was the point of that chapter. It's like you can, even if you have a teacher for 20 years, and suddenly you feel like this relationship is not good anymore. It's not feeling right. You can move on. You, get, you are the only person that is necessary for your growth. You know, you are the only person. I am the only person that's mine. We get to invite all the other players in this path, and we get to disinvite players too if we feel like it's, it's not a good, healthy, you know, relationship for us. Very true. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe how quickly the time is going by, Scott. I but, know. You know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> but, but 
I know I know you have another appointment, so I wanna I wanna help you get to it safely without speeding or getting a ticket. So <laughs> before we go, would you please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you and where they may purchase your book, Big Love? Yes. Well, Big Love is everywhere. I mean, it's it's online, and I, there's an audiobook version that I read. If you want to hear me reading it, there's an ebook version. You know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and it's in. Lots of bookstores. You know, it's definitely in Barnes and Noble and all the bigger stores, and hopefully it's in your local store too. And if it's not, please tell them to carry it. And then, as far mm-hmm. as finding me, um, my website is scottstabile.com, S C O T T S T A B I L E.com. And then also uh, find me on Facebook because I do, that's where I do most of my writing and posting, and it's where I do a lot of live videos too, where I just put the, the phone on and I start talking and about who knows what. And, and there's a, you know, people from all over the world tune in and you can ask questions and it's a really fun way to connect in real time. So those would be the ways. Great. And I'll apologize for mispronouncing your name, but I'm going to yell at you. You should have told me. <laughs> oh, you. no God, worries, honey. I, 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 every, everyone, <laughs> I have to tell you like eight out of 10 people call me Scott Stable. I, I should have told you in the beginning. <laughs> No you know, it's funny. And people get my name wrong, and they're like, "What is your name?" And I'll make T. And I say, "How many?" And they say, "How many people are named T?" And then I read your book, and I thought, "Well, at least we know there's one more." You know, there was yeah. one more. I, the gentleman. I was like, "Wow, I can't believe this guy's name was T." Okay, this is cool. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, exactly. Too funny. It's too, yeah. So, so listen. We need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. You know, we live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do, to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. And this is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love, and I hope you'll be back next week for another great show here at Energy Awareness Radio. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org. You'll find an archive list of past shows, the lineup for upcoming shows, as well as information about other upcoming events I'll be hosting, including my sound healing concerts and labyrinth walks. Now, my children's book, Santa's Tiniest Elves, launched on August 1st. And a portion of the proceeds from the sale of the book is going directly to children in need. It's available at Amazon and, of course, through your local bookseller. Please check out Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need. 100% were run solely by volunteers. No salaries, no stipends, no compensation of any kind to anyone. We are investing in a brighter tomorrow by giving them a better today. So thank you for taking time to visit our website, sojihuggles.org. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at NRG Aware Radio. That's at NRG Aware Radio and at Soji Huggles. I am your host, Key Love here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. And remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well. I got a I got a warm place to sleep. So my
It's not a hand. 